Thank you for tuning in to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. To keep connected with us, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our Calvary Connection. The vision of our church is to make Jesus famous. When Jesus is famous, everything changes, and he becomes our passion because his love is better than life. Today's message is from our monthly growth nights that are on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Christina Holdridge teaches about being Jesus' famous women. Enjoy. Hi, guys. How's everybody doing? Doing good? Yeah? Good. It's great to be here again. Week, or not week, four, month four. Feels good. I have a little countdown in my head. (laughs) Not because I don't love them. (laughs) Um, But I want to start out tonight with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Last year, I spent the year kind of dedicated to taking in as much C.S. Lewis as I could. This is a very uh, common quote, so you might have heard it before without reading his books, but if you're looking for some recommended reading, not on the subject we're talking about tonight, but go dive deep into C.S. Lewis. It is amazing. But anyway, this I want to start out with this quote tonight. Here's what he says. He says, It seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We are fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. And I love that quote because I feel like in one way, it's kind of a description of our Christian life because we get so caught up in mud pie land and we just can't even imagine the infinite joy that God is offering to us, the um, holiday at sea that he has for us. We're just so caught up over here. We just can't even imagine what is possible. And tonight we're going to talk about a subject that I feel like is really, that quote is really applicable to, because we're going to talk about our bodies. And you know, as believers, we start out following Jesus, and he gets a hold of our minds and our hearts, and we come to this place of committing ourselves to him, and we surrender ourselves to him, and that's a really big deal. But then there comes this point where following Jesus gets hard. And we realize that who we are naturally and what he says in his word, what he says is good and true, they're so often in conflict. And this struggle begins. And it's the same thing. It's the mud pies versus the holiday at sea, but we just don't know it. We don't know. And so we have this struggle. And... We, we are faced with this question, will I believe with my mind, with my heart, even with my actions, that God's ways are actually better than mine? Will I trust him now and what his word says now when it feels so contrary to what I feel is good or true? This subject is never more true than when it comes to our bodies, and especially what we're really going to focus on tonight is beauty 
and body image and sexuality. And for me, that wrestling match between what I naturally feel is true or good about these subjects, beauty, body image, sexuality, what I feel is true or good and what God says is so often so different. But here's what I know. My joy is at stake. There's that infinite joy that's possible. And I know it might be weird for some of us to think about following God in that way, that it's for our own benefit, for our joy, but it it really is true. The Bible teaches that with God in his presence is fullness of joy. First John teaches that his instructions are so that our joy could be full. Over and over again, scripture teaches that with God, following his ways, there is real and lasting joy. There is the holiday at sea. And so the motivation is there for us. Our own joy is the prize that we can gain from walking in God's ways. And here's what else I know. Even though the battle is real, God hasn't left me alone to duke this out. He's given me a spirit. And for every believer in the room tonight, God's spirit lives in you. And part of his job is to strengthen you and to help you to walk in God's ways, to believe what God says. So we have God's spirit. We're not alone. And here's what else I know. I can have hope. I can have hope in this struggle because of that verse we studied back in March, 2 Corinthians 3.18. That verse promises me that if I know Jesus and I'm just trying to walk with him, that if I pursue him, that God will change me. Remember that? From glory to glory. So as I press into knowing him, he will take all the stuff that my heart feels so strongly is real and true and good, and he will transform me to believe and to be able to live out what he says is good and true. And even though sometimes I know it's a slow process, he is changing me, and I know he can change you too. So the struggle is real, but joy is the prize. And God is with us, and God is for us, and God is in us, and God is changing us. So let's jump in. All right, our topic for tonight, like I said, is about our bodies. The, the headline or whatever is Jesus' famous women receive Christ's design for their bodies. So right there, wrapped up in that statement, there's two things. First, we have to notice that if Jesus' famous women receive Christ's design, that must mean that we have a choice. Like we will or we won't receive it. We have a choice, right? <clears throat> what design will we receive? And secondly, um, we have a choice that if we are to accept his design, that must mean that there are other designs out there. So we have a choice whether we're going to receive the design that God gave us, but also there are other purposes that other, other uh, messages that tell us what our body is designed for. And we have a choice. Are we going to receive God's design for our bodies or are we going to listen to those other messages? And um, it's true that those other messages, they're pretty loud. The Bible teaches that we have three enemies, okay? And maybe you know this already. We have enemy number one, that's us. That's our sin nature, our flesh, who we are naturally without God's spirit. That's one messenger that's trying to tell me 
what God's purpose is, or what, or not God's purpose, what my, the purpose is for my body. Then there's enemy number two, that's the world. Not, and it's systems and values. That can be another messenger that's coming against me that wants to tell me a different message than God does about what my body's designed for. And then there's enemy number three, the devil. So all those guys at times, us, the world, the devil, they're all telling us messages about what our body is for. And we have to choose. Whose voice will we listen to? Christ? Our flesh? The world? The enemy? Tonight, we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about what God's purpose is for our body. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about how we can embrace his design. But because all those contrary messages are so very loud, and because our hearts have been saturated in them for so very long, the struggle to trust and follow Jesus in this area can be very challenging. But again, real joy is ours to have. And again, God is with us, and God is for us, and God is in us, and God is changing us. And so we can be full of hope and assurance that we can walk in these good truths by his grace. So what is God's design for our bodies? Here it is. God made physical human bodies to bring him glory. Just to simply show off how great he is. In Genesis 1, God created us. He made us in his image, meaning he made us in so many ways like him. And he also made us to image, to reflect or to show the world around us what he's like. He put his image in us and he specifically designed our physical bodies to show off his greatness. God created our physical bodies on purpose. He didn't make us ethereal spirits. He could have. But he values our body. He doesn't value only our heart, our spirit. He values our bodies. Our physical bodies, of course, they live out what our heart feels, which is why it's so important to prioritize taking care of your heart. But God gave us a physical body because by it, we can bring him great glory. And did you know that that's how God works with everything he's made? Psalm 19.1, when it talks about nature, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows off his handiwork. All of nature, including us, is meant in part to show off the glory, the greatness of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So all of nature, including most importantly, the human body, we were designed by God on purpose for showing off his greatness, for glorifying him. And isn't it something that in, verse, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says that Anything we can do with our body can potentially bring God glory. Think about this, and I'm being totally serious. Um, when you eat something delicious, you can glorify God with that. 
I'm serious. Have you guys ever been to Revival Ice Cream in downtown Monterey? Does anybody ever go there? Oh my gosh. Okay. There's this ice cream there. It's called the Bee's Knees. And for me, I'm not even a huge ice cream person, but that is honestly one of the best things I have ever tasted. It's like top 10 of my whole life. It's so good. But I am telling you that so much of God's greatness and goodness is shown off when we get to enjoy a scoop of that ice cream. Think about it. Think about it. Okay, it was God who gave me complex taste buds so that not only do I eat just to stay alive, but he gave them to me. He was so clever and creative and loving in his design that he made me able to taste and enjoy all those swirled bits of honeycomb in that crazy good honeycomb ice cream. He made us that way on purpose. And of course, he made the bees that made the honey for us to eat, and he created the cows that gave the cream, and he made the chickens that gave us the egg, and the sugar plant that gave us the sugar. And because it's revival, which if you haven't gone, it's like all natural, probably everything in that ice cream was made by God. And then God made the creative people with the minds to know just what to do with all those individual ingredients so that we could all enjoy them just for fun. Just knowing that and recognizing that, that is honestly a way that we can glorify God with our bodies. Now, yes, I know, don't worry, five scoops of ice cream or eating that ice cream every day is probably not testifying to another great thing about God, which is the spirit of self-control that he could give me. But really, like enjoying a scoop of that delicious ice cream or any other thing, it can really be a way of showing off God's goodness and glory. But there's more to glorifying God than just enjoying his gifts with gratitude. When we believe, I believe, I'm sorry, when we walk in God's ways, we're testifying to his greatness with our body. When we walk in his ways, when we obey his commands, when we, we are ultimately using our bodies in the way he designed them to be used. And it's to our benefit, because those ways are always what's best for us anyway, But just obeying God, walking in his ways, that very act can put on display his glory. So while following God's do's and don'ts doesn't make him love us more, it can show the world around us how great he actually is. Let me give you an example. God designed my mouth to speak, to speak words of truth and love and life and encouragement and help. And when I gossip, I'm not really doing what my mouth was designed to do. That's why it hurts me and the people around me. But when I seek to obey God's instruction not to gossip, his glory can shine. People might notice that I don't gossip and they might feel safer with me. They might trust me more. They notice that I don't have conversations where I spill the tea, so to speak. They might see me as kind or compassionate or wise. And really, all along, it was God, right? It was his instruction that was wise and his heart that was reflected through me that is kind or compassionate or loving or merciful. And hopefully, maybe, at some point, you might have an opportunity to verbally give God credit for that. But even if I never did, when we don't gossip, we reflect God's image, and we can bring him great glory. 
Sometimes walking in God's ways is more just about embracing his truth so that when our actions show that we believe what God said is good really is good or when, we, when our actions show that we believe what God said is true really is true, that also can bring him glory. Either way, I hope this is all making sense to you. The main idea is this. God designed our bodies to glorify him. And when we live a life enjoying the gifts that he has given us in the way that he's designed them, and when we walk in his ways, all of that is just testifying and proclaiming to the world around us his greatness. Okay, I said earlier tonight that we were going to look specifically at the subject of beauty, right? And body image and sexuality. So how do we glorify God in those specific areas with our body? That's what the rest of this teaching is going to be about. We're going to look at five mentalities that we need to adopt to help us. So remember that when it comes to this subject, especially we're in a struggle, our world, our, the world, our flesh, and the devil are at all times coming against us, but it is possible for us to have victory here. So when it comes to beauty and body image and sexuality, what do we need to know? Here's one mentality. One mentality that will help us to glorify God in this area is to remember that he is the creator and that we are the creation. Isaiah 45, 9 says this. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? And in this passage, I hope you know, we're the clay and God is the, the one shaping the clay. And obviously it's describing a pretty ridiculous scenario, right? No clay or pot or any other created thing ever gets to have a say in their design. No, the creator, the builder, the artist, the potter, they're the ones with a vision for what they're making and they're the ones with the wisdom and the skill to know how to make it. So, when God made you, when God made sexuality, he knew what he was doing. He is the creator. He was the potter with the vision for what he was building, with the wisdom and the skill to bring that vision to pass. And that means every part of you, even your outward appearance, every part of your outward appearance, every aspect of sexuality and how to use it, it was all intentionally designed by who? The greatest creator and artist of all time. It was designed by the one who is perfect and makes no mistakes. And get this, Psalm 139.1, I'm sorry, 139 verses 13 and 14, it reveals to us that not only have we been made by the greatest artist of all time, but that everything that God makes is wonderful. <clears throat> Here's what it says. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. Everything that God makes is wonderful. And remember what God declared at the end of the creation account? Genesis 1.31 says this. Then God saw everything that he had made and said, indeed, it is very good. 
So the greatest creator of all time, who makes no mistakes, made you exactly as he wanted you to be. And everything he makes is very good and wonderful. Everything about the way you look is good and wonderful, designed by a perfect artist. And think about that truth with sexuality. When it comes to sexuality, God is the creator. He's the one who invented sex. And he intentionally made us as sexual beings with physical desires for pleasure and intimacy. He intentionally made men and women to have bodies that would come together to give each other pleasure and intimacy and even the great gift of kids. God's the creator of all of that. And as the creator, he knows how sex is supposed to operate. He designed it for a man and a woman committed in marriage only. And in that context, it is very good and wonderful. And we know that God did not design it to be used outside of marriage or before marriage or between two people of the same gender. No, his creation was a great gift to be expressed in one specific way. But remember, everything that God made is very good and wonderful. So both his creation of sex and his design for sex is good. But he's the creator and we're the creation. And so, so often our viewpoint is flawed. We don't see what God sees. We don't know what God knows. And when it comes to beauty and body image and sexuality, our perspective can be so different from his. Our view of outward appearance and sexuality is so formed by the experiences we've had and by the messages we see and hear all the time. And when we compare what we think and what God thinks, the two don't often match. The creator says, he made you exactly as he wanted to make you. His design for you is good and wonderful, and he makes no mistakes. We think, I have this flaw or that flaw. I'd be better if I looked like this or like that. They don't match. The creator says sex is very good and wonderful when it's used in marriage. We think, seems like freedom to express ourselves sexually before marriage, outside of marriage, maybe with the same gender, freedom seems to be the good and wonderful thing. The two don't match, so we have to choose. Who will we believe? Will we believe the one who made us? Will we believe what he says about us? Or will we believe, and will we believe the one who made sex and what he says about sex? And though it can be a struggle for sure, I just want to encourage you tonight let God's voice win out in this area. Let God's voice win out. His spirit is in you. And he wants to help you believe and walk in this beautiful truth that he made you and that he made you very good and wonderful. And ladies, as we believe this, as it sinks deep into our souls, it really does bring God glory over time. We become more and more different from the culture around us for good. We change into becoming women who no longer strive to fit a cultural standard of beauty because we believe more and more that God made us wonderful just as we are. 
We change into becoming women who don't use sex outside of its designed purpose, but we do freely embrace it within its design. And all the while, our hearts become more and more at rest. Over time, we become more and more comfortable with who we are and who God made us to be. And that is truly a testament to God's greatness. Okay, another mentality that will help us to bring God glory when it comes to these areas is to trust God's goodness. Now, I know we already thought about how everything God made is good, but in this section, I just want to spend a quick minute thinking about the goodness of God himself. Listen to these verses with me. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. In Matthew 7, 11, it says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, good give, give good things to those who ask him? And Romans 8, 28 says this. You might know that verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to the, his purposes. Here's the conclusion we can come to based on those verses and so many more like them. God is good. God gives good gifts to his kids. And God works everything in our lives for good. God is good. He gives good. And he works good. And when we live a life that believes this in everything, when we believe this as it relates to beauty or body image or sexuality, we really do bring him great glory. Just stick with me for a minute. I think you'll see why. You see, if I believe that God is not good or not always good, then I might even be justified in wallowing in a little bit of self-pity when it comes to these subjects. I might be justified in feeling sorry for myself for not looking the way I want to look, for not being able to enjoy sex the way I want to enjoy sex. But if God is good, then... As the psalm says, I can trust him. If he's good, I can trust him with how he made me. And I can trust him with the future he has for me. And I can trust him with my struggles and my fears as I live in the world. Because he's good. And if he is good, I can trust him and his plans for sex. I can trust that he's not holding anything back from me. He's not trying to harm me or stifle me. If he is good, I can trust him. And if he's always good, which he is, then his ways will always be better than mine. So again, here's our struggle. The mud pies or the holiday at sea. But as we pursue Jesus, as we let him change us from glory to glory, by his spirit, you really can believe more and more that he is good and that he is trustworthy and that he is worth following. And this belief will change your actions. It'll free you up to walk in his ways without any fear of missing out or what you will face if you follow his ways, because you'll know he's good. And that freedom, it'll bring him great glory. All right, number three, 
Here's a third mentality that can help us to bring God glory in these areas. We remember where our value comes from. Or the way I like to put it is we put pretty in its place. Have you guys ever heard the story from Genesis 2 of the two sisters, Rachel and Leah? The story goes that a man named Jacob, he fell in love with Rachel and he wanted to marry her. And Rachel's father, Laban, tricked Jacob. So he tricked Jacob into marrying his older daughter, Leah, and then later he let him marry his younger daughter, Rachel. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but this is what I want you to notice. Scripture describes the outward appearance of these two sisters. Genesis 29, 17 says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, what, for whatever delicate means, the but Rachel contrast here, it really makes it clear. Leah was probably not super cute. And her sister Rachel clearly was. Here's what Tim Keller says about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, the point is made clear. Leah was particularly unattractive. And she had to live all of her life in the shadow of her sister, who is absolutely stunning. Now, to make matters worse, Jacob was married to both, and he persisted, if you know the story, in only ever loving Rachel. He made it really clear in really obvious ways that she was the only one he ever loved and the only one he ever wanted. It was cruel. So poor Leah, right? Unattractive, unloved, in the shadow of a beautiful and well-loved sister, it sounds pretty miserable to me. But there's something interesting about Leah's story. Genesis 29, 31, it says, but God saw that Leah was unloved. God saw it. God cared about Leah. God saw her pain and her grief and her misery, and he cared about all of it. And you know what? God used her life. Though she never knew it, her fourth son, Judah, became part of the lineage of Jesus. As Tim Keller put it, salvation for all of humanity came into the world not through beautiful Leah, uh, Rachel, but through the unwanted one, through the unloved one, Leah. And what I want us to all understand about this is just that God, he doesn't value beauty the way that we do. I mean, God invented outward beauty like any other attribute he made. And he has sovereignly distributed it to whomever he wants. Usually, it's to varying degrees. A little beauty to her, a great laugh to her, some creativity to this one, musical ability to this one, you know, etc., etc., etc. God sovereignly gives out these things to whomever he wants. But he doesn't elevate one trait above another. He doesn't say that one of those things is more valuable than the other. Remember what he said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16? He said, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God, he looks at the heart. And do you know how Jesus is described? Isaiah 53 says he had, in my notes it's in all caps, no beauty. No beauty 
He wasn't like ordinary. He had no beauty. He might have even been kind of unattractive. Jesus was not really a particularly good-looking man. But was he important? Was he valuable? Obviously, 100%, yes. But we're so programmed to believe that the more lovely you are outwardly, the more valuable you are. And I don't think that any of us would actually say that out loud. I mean, very that'd probably be the exception, a person that would say that. But think about this with me. How do you feel when a super beautiful woman walks into the room? Or maybe when you watch a, a movie with a really beautiful woman as the lead character. Do you feel smaller? Do you feel intimidated? Do you feel insecure? Do you compare yourself to her? Do you feel badly about yourself? I know I do. But honestly, we shouldn't. If our value doesn't actually come from our appearance, we should feel comfortable and confident and important with any group of people at any time. For Leah, God did not choose to give her beauty, but he was still good, and he still made her wonderfully, and he loved her, and he valued her, and he cared about her pain, and he even chose her to bring salvation as part of bringing salvation into the world. But none of that had anything to do with how she looked. So maybe a good question to ask then is, well, what does make me valuable? Here it is. You are valuable because you are made by God. And that's it. That is it. It's so natural in us to try and find validation or significance or value in so many other things. But I want you to look around, especially on the Monterey Peninsula, the God who made the most spectacular, complex, wondrous things in all of nature, he made you and he made me. And that's what makes us valuable. I read a blogger who described it this way. She said, one thing I find fascinating about art is that the value of a masterpiece is determined by the one who made it. A Picasso painting is valuable because Picasso painted it. Experts in art decided that Picasso's work stands out from his peers and his artistry is what has set the value on it. It's because Picasso made it that it's valuable. Well, the greatest artist of all time, who is always perfect and always good, who makes no mistakes, he made us. And that's what makes us valuable. And of course, your value was proven in the gospel, right? You and I are worth so much to God that he didn't even spare his own son. He sacrificed Jesus so he could gain us back forever. That should speak volumes about our worth. So let's go back to our big question. How do we glorify God with our bodies? Here in this point, we live in the light of the value that God has given to us when he created us. And that means over time, as this truth sets in, we don't seek to find validation anywhere else. We don't need to be pretty to be comfortable or even confident. We don't chase after relationships 
to give us worth. We don't use sex as a way to feel loved or lovable or important. Once again, over time, our hearts, they come to this place of rest. And we get to operate in life from this place of resting in the value that we already have rather than striving for value anywhere else. So we put pretty in its proper place. Just one of many things that God gives to some. Living without striving for value, it shows off what a great and glorious God we have. Okay, we've got two more. Let's look at point number four. Here's another way we can glorify God when it comes to our bodies. We let God satisfy our deepest longings. Last summer, I was facing the same battle that I face pretty much every summer. It's called the Lake Tahoe Beach Struggle. (laughs) Now for me, this is where some of my scrappiest wrestling matches between what I feel is true or good and what God says is true about body image and beauty, this is where some of my scrappiest wrestling matches have been fought. I'm over here, I'm messing, messing around with the mud pies, and I just cannot see or believe for the life of me that there is a holiday at sea. I can't get to that place so often. So last summer, I was not in a victorious place once again. I was not feeling at rest in my worth because I was made by God. No, instead I was feeling far less valuable because I didn't look like the women around me. I wasn't feeling comfortable or confident in myself knowing that God doesn't make any mistakes and God makes everything good and wonderful. Instead, I was noticing all the features of other women who, that God did not give me and thinking that they seemed like they would be pretty good and pretty wonderful. I was not trusting in God's goodness, I was wishing and wanting to look entirely different. And honestly, I was trying all my tricks because I'd been here before. So I, would, I had prayed beforehand. I had reminded myself of truth all week long. I was trying really hard just to focus on my friends and my family who were right there in front of me. But I was struggling and my heart was discontent. There was this part of me, maybe you can relate, that if I was honest, I was so sure that if I could just look like some of these other women, then I would be at rest. And then I would feel confident. And then I would be comfortable. And then I would actually be able to enjoy the day. But that's just a lie. We all know it. It's the lie of covetousness, really, that if we could get what we want that we don't have, then we will be happy. And unfortunately, I just could not climb out of my funk that day. I was so caught up in my own self-pity, my own covetousness of wanting something God had just not seen fit to give me, that I'm sure that I missed out on a lot of great opportunities with everybody I loved. But God, who is always gentle and patient, but persistent, he spoke to me from his word the next morning. I was reading through Hebrews, and here's what I read that morning. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Okay, 
I'm busted. <laughs> like that literally just the next morning, that's just the next chapter I'm reading, I'm like, busted. But then listen to this next part. For he himself has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Here's what I think is so amazing about that passage, you guys. God's saying the reason that we shouldn't want what we don't have is because we have him. That is our holiday at sea. He is where the infinite joy is found. This verse did not promise me that I will ever feel good enough about my outward appearance. But it does promise me that I don't have to worry about how I look or about anything else because I have him and he will never leave me. Having God will always be more than enough to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And don't you see how that's helpful for sexuality too? Like whatever unmet longings we have when it comes to this area, we can trust that God will meet our deepest soul needs. And maybe those longings are for physical or emotional intimacy through sex. Well, this verse promises that we have God as our helper. So if this area is a struggle in your marriage, you can know that you can find your soul filled up by God. But you can also know that you have a helper who is there to help you pursue healing in your marriage. If it's a longing for sex that falls outside of his design in any way, you can trust him. He will fill you up and he will help you to navigate and walk in obedience. The Lord is our helper. We don't have to fear. Now, I cannot claim that that truth fixed everything in me in this battle over beauty, but I can tell you that it, that it set my heart at peace in a new and a fresh way. To believe that God is all that I really need, not a different body. To believe and know that I have him and that he will never leave me and that he will help me to walk in his ways. <clears throat> and when we think about this and how it, how it glorifies God, I don't think anyone can put it better than John Piper. He said this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's it. Okay, our fifth and final point. How can we glorify God with our bodies? How can we glorify God in the areas of beauty and body image and sexuality? Well, this might be the point that you were all most expecting when you heard about this teaching. We pursue the eternal. <clears throat> Proverbs 31:30 says this: Charm is deceitful, beauty passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. And 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says this, don't let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of your hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Instead, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is very precious in the sight of God. So here's what I want you to notice about those two passages tonight. There's a kind of beauty that is passing. And there's a kind of beauty that is incorruptible or eternal. And outward beauty is what's passing. Inward beauty is something that is eternal and can even increase over time. And these verses, they encourage us as women to go after that inner beauty. The proverb said that fearing the Lord is part of it. And Peter there, he tells us that there is this adorning of our hearts that we can do that will produce that eternal inner, inner beauty. But what does that all really mean? Let's talk about it for a minute. What does it mean for us to pursue inner beauty? Well, first, let me paint a little picture of what inner beauty might look like. Think about this verse with me, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, do you guys know this one? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's inner beauty. Wouldn't you just love to increase in even just one? Or how about 1 Corinthians 13? Here's a good look at inner beauty. Listen to this. It's probably also familiar to you. Love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely and it doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's inner beauty. And that, that Galatians 5, this 1 Corinthians 13, that's the kind of beauty that can be produced in us over time as we pursue it. And so, of course, the natural question, how do we get those things? Do we just try more? Do we just try to be more patient and more gentle and more self-controlled and more hopeful? That's not really going to produce it genuinely long-term. The key word in those ver that verse in Galatians is fruit. Those are the fruits of who? The Spirit. That means those qualities can only ever come from God's Spirit doing a work in you and growing them. But they can be real outcomes in your heart as you walk with Jesus and you allow his spirit to take over. And we've talked about this a lot in our times together these last four months. We've talked about the truth that as we pursue Jesus, as we just hang out with him, as we spend time with him, as we surrender to his spirit in our lives, over time, our hearts are changed from glory to glory, so that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and so many more of those things, they will and can be produced in us. That inner beauty that is eternal can grow in you till the day that you die. So how do we glorify God with our bodies? Well, this is part of the answer. We bring him glory when we chase after the things that he said are the most important. The things he said will last forever. 
It doesn't mean we don't take care of our outward appearance, but it does mean we prioritize our hearts. We bring, we bring him glory when we show the world around us that he is worth it. He's worth worshiping. He's worth reading about. He's worth learning about. He's worth giving to. But when all those things, those 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5 qualities, when they begin to come out of our life, to be sure God is going to be glorified there too. So let's wrap this up really quickly. Jesus' famous women, we receive God's design for our bodies. And we determine together that God's design for our bodies is just that we would bring glory to him through them. And we spend a lot of time looking at how we can bring glory to God in those specific areas of beauty and body image and sexuality. And so, with that possibility of a holiday at sea, of infinite joy right in front of us, and knowing that we can get so caught up grasping at these mud pies, not even seeing the possibility, we talked about five mentalities that can help us. We remember that he's the creator and that we're the creation. We trust in God's goodness. We remember where our value comes from. We let God satisfy the deepest longings of our soul and we pursue what is eternal. And then he changes us from glory to glory. And that glory comes out. All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, um, I just want to pray that you would capture our hearts with this truth. Because I can't think of another area that is so in our face, God. The struggle to be content with what you've given us. The struggle to um, believe what you say in this area. It can just be so real because, like I said, God, the messages, they are our hearts are just saturated with them. And even if we shut down every media in the house, we would still feel them. Um, but you're bigger than that and you're greater than that. And, and I pray for uh, you to open our eyes in a way like they've never been opened so that we could actually imagine just a little bit that holiday at sea, that infinite joy that you promise us, that we could even just take one step closer, putting that mud pie down and inching towards your kingdom and your ways in this area specifically, believing that what you say about these things is real and true and good. So God, I just pray that you would do a work in every single one of our hearts so that we could believe a little bit more, so that we could walk a little bit more in the belief that of what you say about beauty and image and sexuality. And Lord, we just are asking for victory in this area, knowing that our joy could increase, knowing that you could be glorified, and uh, knowing that this is what we were actually designed for. Thank you so much for the truth that your word brings to us. Thank you for your spirit that helps us to see and understand this truth. And I just pray that you would go with us now, Lord. Change us by your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary, please visit calvary.com. We hope to see you at our next growth night on the first Sunday of every month at 5.30 p.m. Thanks, church. God bless.